0: Are you stoked for Valentine's Day? (laughs) What kind of stupid question is that? This This is a very special Valentine's. It's a very special Valentine's Day edition of the Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, the art and the pitfall of the presidential interview. As the uh, 2020 presidential campaign kicks up, we're going to be hearing a lot more from Donald Trump and from all of the other uh, presidential candidates, for better or for worse. Um, And we wanted to take a look this week on what, especially as it relates to Trump, what those interviews tend to look like. And the perils that they present for reporters who are, who are conducting them. We're joined by uh, CJR writer Liz Lenz, um, who has written a terrific piece that you can read on the CJR website today about about just this. Welcome, Liz. Hello. Um, it's great to have you. Um, should we first talk about the board game Candyland before we get into this? Because we have we a we have an need issue. You.
1: Too. and I think you know this this is the real the real divide in media right now so do you want to explain so uh, Liz,
0: to Liz you explain this Liz and her story has a reference to Candyland. and and what, what what was the exact line about how covering Trump was like
1: it's kind of like a stacking the deck metaphor except a little different it's like when you play candy land your mom well, some nice moms, will, like, take out the cards that send you back to the beginning, like Plumpy or the um, Candy Cane guy, um, and they'll take those cards out of the <laughs> deck so that you don't draw them and they have to go back. And I thought this was, like, a pretty universal metaphor when I put it in the piece, but it's caused so much controversy because Kyle Pope has never played Candyland.
0: Even though I have many children, I have played Candyland, but I don't, I, you know, basically, the way I play board games is I don't look at any of the directions, and I don't, I don't really look at any of the cards. I just say, here's some dice, and you guys entertain yourself. That's the way it works at my house.
1: Oh, I, maybe, like, maybe it's just like far more intense, because I'm very like, these are the rules. We play by them. <laughs> Even though you're four years old, there's no crying in chess. <laughs> yeah. You know, like... <laughs> I just didn't realize a Candyland metaphor would be so controversial. So let's 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 just hold.
0: leave the Candyland alone, and we'll get letters on that that we can address at the time.
1: I'm gonna put up a Twitter poll, and you're gonna lose so hard.
0: All right, Kyle Pope. There is a bigger and more important point here, which is the overall point of the piece is that these Trump interviews go out of their way to sort of make him appear to be more coherent and maybe more t- intelligent, or at least more rational than he really is right
1: yeah and i don't think it's always a fox news thing either i mean clearly he's had i think the last count was about 42 interviews with fox news the most of any network i mean the way that they're edited the way they're shot the way the questions work are really just designed to fit trump's Style. You know, the questions are more like, well, what do you think about this or what's going on with this, rather than, like, pointed analytical questions. But I also think that it happens with other interviews, too. Like, there's this Bloomberg interview that happened, and it was cut up into these really, like, small parts. And I get it because you've just sat with the president. You want to be able to, like, say he coherently thinks this about trade or he thinks this about immigration but like that really does a disservice to who our president actually is because his thoughts are not coherent mm. his narrative is not focused you know if you look at the transcripts of these interviews he'll he'll start to answer a question about immigration and end up with you know something that obama did in the middle east like it's not and, and so like i think there is this real like concerted effort and struggle of journalists and editors everywhere to say okay we have this hot mess of words from you know the commander in chief what do we do with them
0: and you think that there on the one hand there is a there's a service to the readers which are like this is a n- nightmare of words right. that you that a, a normal human couldn't make sense of. So we're gonna like help you and do some of the work for you and make it to where this is actually makes sense. Um right. There's that which I think is defensible, but there's another issue which is actually help him helping him appear to be something that he's not. Um, and do you think do you think that that where do you think the sort of motive is for? these news organization who are doing this
1: well i think you know i think it's ratings right i think it's clicks i think it's i don't necessarily think it's like some sort of nefarious plot to uh you know make our president look good people want to take the material that they have and present it to the audience in a way that makes the audience care and it's hard to make somebody care about, you know, a trash bag full of words, which is what his answers usually are. I mean, there's, there's those motivations, and I think they all kind of get mixed together. And it, it does do a real disservice because it is really wrong to say, okay, here's conceptually what the president thinks about something because he will tweet something the next day That completely undermines what was said in the interview. And also, he lies constantly. He says things that are untrue constantly. So to kind of, like, characterize his, uh, you know, his words and his ideas in tightly edited format, you know, without, like, the further context. It misrepresents him to the nation, and I think you know that happened during the campaign, and here we are, and that's happening now, and um, it's difficult.
0: I just think it's really interesting, uh, and I think it's, I think what you're talking about speaks to this bigger problem that people have, which is that they still haven't gotten their heads around who, around the fact that this guy is the president, and yeah. and they're like, there's just this cognitive dissonance. they like, yeah, but. He it is crazy, but like it is the president, and we have to like right. make some effort to present this as sort of coherent.
1: I don't think we have the obligation to present anybody as anything other than what they actually are. Yeah, like the effort and the work that goes into legitimizing this president, and I'm not even again, I'm not even talking just about Fox News. You know, I'm talking about Leslie Stahl's interview where she comes out afterwards and says, he's so confident, he's so presidential, but, like, you listen to what he's saying, and it's just the same old, you know, weird Putinesca of words that was before. Like, it's this, like, idea that somehow the office of the presidency legitimizes something that shouldn't even be legitimate in the first place. I mean, I don't think a writer ever has the obligation to do the work for their subject like that. Like it's not your job to make this person seem coherent just for a coherent narrative. Um, you know, and he's a reality TV president. He knows that like, you know, he's got, he puts his shoulders back. He keeps his chin up. He knows how to look at the camera and confidently assert things And so, you know, when people walk out of these interviews and say, oh, he seems so presidential, it's like, well, he just talked forcefully. But, Uh like, what did he say? And I think that is a big distinction that still needs to be made because, you know, so often the response to his print interviews are very different than the responses to his televised interviews. But he does televised interviews a lot and they come off better and those are the ones that I think the average American is seeing and paying attention to
0: you know what I haven't seen a lot of thought about um, what would happen if if he was a woman
1: oh uh, he wouldn't th- be president first this
0: point so that all. you just made about like he presents well and he presents strongly I think it would have I, I mean I, I I actually don't think that um the thing that you just mentioned, which is that he sort of, people try to sort of help him out, basically is what you're saying. I don't think that would happen if he was a woman, do you?
1: Oh, no, well, I mean, we wouldn't be here if he was a woman, so like, I mean, that question in and of itself kind of like, you know, undermines the foundation of where we are. But it would be like, if hypothetically, Trump was a woman and he (laughs) was elected, in that kind of bizarre world no like we wouldn't like a woman looking at the camera and saying something forcefully is a bitch can i say that on this podcast
0: yeah and also oh, and also okay. like the incoherence would be totally called out
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, well, uh, like we've had we've had a lot of uh, not a lot, but we've had some female senators and politicians who did this. I mean, we had Michelle Bachman. We had Sarah Palin, you know, who who were these these women who said nonsense things um, and still say nonsense things and said so, you know, very assertively. and
0: And people really made fun of them
1: constantly. And I mean, people still make fun of the president, but I think like, I think the legitimacy that we give to him is something that is completely unearned. And I just don't, you know, I I was talking to Olivia Nuzzi for the piece who, who had that piece in New York Magazine about just randomly getting pulled into the Oval Office and having this weird interview with the president where he just paraded people in front of her like sort of – so it's always bizarre to me when I hear like a Leslie Stahl or like a Lester Holt coming out of these interviews and being like, oh, he had this like bearing, and I wonder what is that dissonance because – He doesn't actually have that bearing. So what is happening in our minds that make us feel like we need to ascribe it to him?
0: Yeah. I mean, the uh, Olivia Olivia Nizzi interview is an interesting counterpoint to everything that we've been talking about, because what for those Mm -hmm. who didn't read it, I mean, what she did was she just sort of she didn't try to make sense of anything, really. I mean, she just sort of described what transpired in front of her eyes, which was this, as you say, completely bizarre, like, Bit of performance art where he brought in people to talk about how you know everyone talked about how great he was and there was this sort of parade of like like oh look who just happens to be in the room and then these people would sort of walk in it was obviously orchestrated but and and a lot of people loved that piece and I did um and I thought it like really got to what being around Trump is like but th- that that mm-hmm. piece did re- it did require the luxury of both length. In terms of the piece to let that unspool and time um, by the reader to sort of read through that whole thing and understand what happened, which is not yeah. that's not really the reality for like day to day White House reporters.
1: Right. Right. Well, I think I mean, that piece was also criticized because, you know, people were like, oh, well, you didn't fact check came, you didn't, you right. know, uh, she, I mean, you know, I wouldn't say it was universally appreciated, but I think it's an interesting time capsule because, like, she, you know, it was um, it was about the, the John Kelly situation, yeah. and she was she was reporting on this bigger piece, and the White House found out, and they, like, became obsessed with this idea of, like, convincing her john kelly was fine and his job was fine and everybody loved him so they staged like you said this piece of performance art with the president and the vice president and john kelly like ivanka being like see we're, ivanka yes we're all happy which she's she's like one of those recurring characters that seems to just like pass through interviews leslie stahl has a moment where she said in a pre interview with trump like Ivanka just came in, like clearly, you know, it's clearly a scripted moment. Do you know? <laughs>
0: you know, I had a job working for Jared Kushner um, before in, in a previous life. Did and
1: Ivanka just randomly walk into the room constantly. Exactly,
0: that happened in my last <laughs> in my last interview bef- with Jared before I was offered the job. Ivanka makes an appearance, and oh I'm pr- and God. I'm sure that it was just for her to size me up and make sure that like. You know, there wasn't soup stains on my coat and, and that, like, right. I didn't, you know, that I was semi-coherent. But it was the same thing. It was like, oh, look who happens to be here. Um,
1: Is this, like, Ivanka needs to, like, give her blessing? Or do you think, like, she's being paraded, like, some sort of ornament,
0: no, I, like, I No, I think she oh, sees herself as having some insight or intuition about people mm. or circumstances. And whether she does or not, I don't know. But I think... She was I mean, in my case, I think it was just like because she didn't talk to me about anything having to do with substance. Like, what do you want to do with the paper or like Mm -hmm. what are your qualifications? It was like really idle chit chat and maybe a little bit of sort of social chit chat. So I think it was more just like eyeballing me and saying, is this what are what are the odds that this guy's going to embarrass us? Um, It turns out (laughs) they were not low uh, as it as it all (laughs) happened because Jared and I blew up. But anyway, the same same thing.
1: Yeah, that's so. That's so interesting. Um, yeah, the way she just kind of like pops in and out of things. She's um, like Zelig. <laughs> going back to the Olivia's piece is like it, it's it, it's an interesting time capsule because she shows on the page like just how desperately they want this story to be a story that John Kelly's okay, but of course, you know, he wasn't okay. Yeah. And, you know, and then like, what, a month later, he's gone. And then this piece reads interesting. But it was interesting to hear her talk and say, the White House actually liked it.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So I think like, there's something that's going on. But but also, like you said, it, it requires the luxury of time in space. And I mean, we need to be realistic. Right. I, I love New York Magazine, but like the majority of Americans get their news from cable news, and of that, Fox News is the most popular. Right.
0: So let let's so this takes us now to what what's a sort of prescription for how people should be thinking about this going forward, especially. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's put let's put aside New York Magazine and the New Yorker and even the New York Times and the Washington Post. We're talking now about. Cable news, network news and either local or, you know, medium sized newspapers or wire services or whatever. So and and I've been saying for a while that we need a new we need some kind of new imagination and new approach to writing about Trump, because I I don't think the way that it's being done is really capturing the moment that we're in or capturing who he is completely in line with what you're saying. But what what's the what what do these people do then? So for the next time Trump sits down with a reporter, let's say from BBC or CBS, yeah. how would they approach this? Do you think
1: the bigger picture lesson is that you very rarely? I think when you write about this, and when I was writing this article, I was talking to another um, great writer. Her name is Carrie Howley. She's you know done, uh, she's up for an Ellie for her Larry Nasser profile.
0: What is I, I, what is another publication that's up for an LA? It's just at the tip of my tongue.
1: Could it be? Oh, the Columbia Journal yeah. review General Excellence. Amazing! Yeah. I'm part of your General Excellence. I know you
0: are. I know you are. You're generally okay. excellent.
1: <laughs> generally, um, but she, you know, we were talking about this problem of profiling, and uh, you know, lamenting over getting interviews and not getting interviews, and she, you know, we we she kind of said this thing, which I say in the end of the article, it's like you get, you rarely get the truth from talking to the person, especially when we're looking at like very problematic people, people who are not known for truth, who are not known for uh, coherence or consistency. Like you don't get at the truth from talking to these people. Um, You get at the truth digging in and around them right. um, so I, I think I, I really think like there needs to be more uh, more digging around his words more digging at the people who are around him mm-hmm. rather than just hearing his words as they stand and I get it like every interview with the president he's gonna say something nuts and it's gonna make a good headline and people are gonna watch it and it's good for ratings. It's good for clicks. It's good for whatever. But like, if you just gave it like one more week, mm-hmm. right, or like three more days, and talked to people, we still fetishize the bizarreness of this president, yeah, uh, because he ha- because he's uh, he sells books. Like he gives us ratings. He gives us clicks. Like if we could just stop that for a moment and think deeply about it and do some contextualizing, I mean ultimately i would love it if we just kind of stopped giving him an interview every time he wanted it like realistically you have to talk to the president at some point point. and like olivia says in the piece she's like it's good to get this administration on record mm-hmm. anytime you can because again the stuff is not going to always hold up um when it's all said and done but it would be great if we could just say no to some interviews and instead say, what's another way we could get at the truth here?
0: I mean, it almost sounds like you're saying you, you don't think that people should do live interviews with him at all.
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, what what's to gain? The thing that is gained from that are clicks or ratings. And if our role as journalists is to like find the truth, you know, democracy dies in darkness, uh, there is a kind of a shroud of this like presenting people as they want to be presented without Um, further poking an investigation. And I think any story is always better if given a little bit more time and research. Just calm down, get some perspective and talk to other people who are, uh, you know, affected by all of this.
0: All right. It was great to talk to you. Oh, it's um, great to talk to you too I encourage everybody to read Liz's piece at CJR.org um, today and, and all the today. general
1: excellence on and the all study. the general
0: excellence on CJR including our app if you don't if you haven't uh, downloaded our app from the app store it's called uh, Galley by CJR and you can go in there and have conversations with people about what's going on in the news which I highly recommend um, thank you for being here thank you for listening we'll see you next week